The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips, and thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. It's difficult to speak about sex at any age. What about after 50, when partners have settled more into Netflix and Facebook than each other? when neither could possibly feel as desirable as the images of people flitting across their screens? What if one or both want more sexual connection or don't want more sexual connection, but no one is saying anything or feeling sure how or what they would say if they could? We are so fortunate to have as our guest today, Tracy Cox, international author and sex expert, calling in from the UK to invite listeners across gender and sexual orientation to age-proof their sex life. In a sense, this is a show for any age group, because in a way that is tender, specific, and interesting, and at times even funny, Tracy addresses sexual issues that may become more pronounced in older age, but actually often occur with couples no matter what age. Tracy Cox has written 17 books and has been talking about sex for 30 years. Today, she'll be drawing upon her 17th book, Great Sex Starts at 50. She has toured internationally as a sex, body language, and relationship expert. She has an academic background in psychology and has counseled via media for decades. She has appeared on Oprah, CNN, The Today Show in the U.S., and many other shows worldwide. She writes a weekly column for Mail Online and has a weekly radio show, The Tracy Cox Show. She has two sex toy product lines. Tracy currently lives in Notting Hill, London, is married, and has a stepdaughter. Tracy Cox, it is my privilege to welcome you to Sex to sex to psych up live. <laughs> Hi, it's, it's, my, it's my pleasure to be here. It sounds great. Yeah. So you know, I just want to to thank you and to let my listeners know after you listen to our show, just reading this book. The book is so user friendly, so interesting that any couple sitting down with the book, I guarantee you, something is different. Something different's going to happen. Whether you choose to have more sex, less sex, you are going to get closer just reading the book. So let's draw it from this book because some of your material is just wonderful. Tracy, let's start Thank with you. what you consider the six truths about sex that will never change regardless of age. Regardless of age. I think one thing that comes through in the book very strongly is that one of the biggest most powerful aphrodisiacs is being desired. I think that it's, 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 if, you know, if you know that somebody really, really wants to have sex with you and wants to be intimate with you, that is the best thing that you can ever give anybody. It doesn't matter what we look like, how old we are, who the, you know, like it's, it's all about desire. And I think desire is in a way more important than orgasms in lots of ways. I think that feeling, you know, it's a feeling that you get, you know, mm-hmm. when you're really young, you imagine like the first time that someone ever looked at you sexually 
and you know your first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it's, it's such a powerful thing so I think that's one of the things that will never change I think the most erotic sex of your life won't necessarily include an orgasm because um, I think that we are too orgasm focused and I think sometimes if you're in a situation that's just so exciting and so new and so so sort of you know out there that it's the best sex of your life that you might not even have an orgasm you might be so in the moment that you can't focus enough to have an orgasm but um it can certainly fuel lots of um erotic fantasies later on um saying no to sex now and then is no bad thing i think that people really do need to accept that saying no to sex is absolutely fine and um it means if your partner's not ever saying no to sex how do you really know that they want it so it's a a good thing you should both feel like you, you should be able to say no to sex um Sex isn't something that comes naturally after having, you know, writing so many books. It's amazing the amount of people who say to me, oh, I don't need your book. And the people who say I don't need your book, I think to myself, you're probably the one person that really does need (laughs) my book. Because we think that we're just born knowing all this stuff about sex and we're not. We have to learn. I mean, I've, I've written all these books. I'm still learning things about sex. So if I'm doing research for 30 years and I'm still learning new things, you know, we all need, you know, none of us are born knowing what we need to know about sex. Um, true arousal is much more than feeling, quote, wet or hard. You feel it in the whole of your body, not just your genitals. And sometimes your genitals don't follow what's going on in your head. And the last one is sex is psychophysiological, meaning that you have to keep your brain stimulated for your genitals to sit up and pay attention. Yeah. Uh, One of the things I want to comment from your book, you share a quote by, um, I think it's Snyder, Dr. Snyder, who says, think of orgasm as the dessert at a great meal. It may be wonderful, but it's not the reason you went out to dinner. Perfect. I love it. You know, it's such a great way of of capturing it. The other thing, and I I say something that you say all the time, if no is not allowed in the sexual discourse and with a couple, then there's never really a yes, Tracy. There is no authentic yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing that I think I, I got a kick at, out of your reactions to the media because I have a similar reaction. One of the four things you talk about in revol- revolutionizing your sex life, the first thing you talk about is managing your expectations. Mm. And when it comes to the media, I think the message sent is unbearable. You know, I've we actually, my husband and I watch, I'm the one like you, yelling How real could this possibly be? People are throwing themselves into um, cupboards, into file cabinets. No one's prepared. Um, And somehow at the end, everyone just fixes their hair a little and comes out. No one showers. No one has to do anything. (laughs) And it seems the message is inconceivable, but we buy what we see. I know, and it does. And what gets me the most infuriated, which is the bit that you read in the book, is the um, the, the sort of um, image that we have of long, or the impression that they give of long-term sex. And long-term sex is presented in the media, particularly on TV shows, as either the couple never have sex at all, or they seem to be magically having the same sex that you have at the start of a relationship. 
And, you know, if you're watching a show, and my poor old husband is there with me, and I'm going, this is just ridiculous. You know, like a couple who've been together for 30 years, and suddenly they wake up on a Sunday morning for no apparent reason and just decide to rip each other's clothes off and, and you know, have sex up against the wall. It's like, you know, that doesn't happen after 30 years. It really doesn't. And it, but we're watching it. And I'm sitting there with my husband watching it, knowing that this doesn't happen, but still sneaking a look at him and thinking, gosh, is he sort of thinking, this is, you know, even though she's told me this doesn't happen, is everybody else doing this? So it, it muddles everybody up, and everybody then gets very dissatisfied with their sex life, thinks that the whole world's having this hot sex and they're not, and then thinks they've chosen the wrong person. So it's a really, really bad message to be, to be out there. And it's still, and like you said, we still put up with it and fall for it. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, you know, what you're saying is so true. People start to feel very guilty. It doesn't make them feel more sexy. It makes them feel very guilty, less desirable. And one of the things, one of your alerts, even as you're saying that it's valuable for people, if they can start to have some regular sex in some way, whatever their pattern is, and and, and we're going to go into some of the things that make it much better or easier for couples who are older and need some help in some ways. I like the fact that you you put this alert on that says, wait, if you haven't had sex in a decade, my telling you to have sex is like asking you to climb Everest with your hands behind Mm. your back. And I thought, well, it's so good that you said that because I think people almost don't know where to start and it's not so easy after 50 to just jump into it. That's right. And, and this is, I mean, this is, you know, the, whenever somebody says to me, what's the most important thing about sex? I give the same answer that every other sex person, sex educator gives, which is you have to be able to talk about sex. And, and everyone goes, that's such a boring answer. But it's the true answer, isn't it? If you cannot talk about sex, you're never going to get anywhere. You will never, you know, you can solve... The, the smallest sex problem becomes insurmountable if you're not talking about sex. But if you do talk about sex, you can solve the biggest problem. And this is what happens when couples stop having sex is that, you know, I was amazed when I was researching this book, I spoke to so many couples who were in their 50s who I know really well. I know they talk about everything together. They're so close, talk about other parts of them aging, but they quietly stopped having sex and neither of them had ever had a conversation about it. And the reason why was that for him, he was having erection problems. It was too embarrassed to admit it. For her, sex becomes painful maybe. She doesn't want to admit it. The fear he'll see fear is, you know, being unsexy. And so they just avoided sex. And then next thing you know, they both avoided it for years to come. And then you don't turn around after five years and say, honey, you know, we haven't had sex for five years. Let's just rush off into the bedroom and do it now. That just doesn't happen, does it? Mm -hmm. So you have to keep talking about sex or you do end up in a position where you suddenly haven't had sex for five years. And then then what do you do? I mean, I give hints of what you can do in the book, but it's it's a difficult situation. Well, I really like there's three points of advice you give about talking about sex. I'll mention them. Maybe you can elaborate. The first one was, and I think this is to just write down in a sentence for yourself, leading with a positive, what it is that you really want or don't want in terms of the sexual connection. Um, and, And you say, think over the course of your relationship, what do you want more of? 
what's possible? Wouldn't it be great if your sentence included, you know, I was thinking about, I used to love when you, now maybe that's not possible, but once it becomes part of the discourse, the other can say, well, that's not going to happen with my back, but well, what else? In other words, it, it really makes it a little bit easier for the for people, and I love the idea of writing it down because people get so overwhelmed that they don't know what they would say. And the other thing you you mentioned that I don't hear people talk enough about and couples that I work with have difficulty with is they don't develop and talk about their own personal body language. Like it'd be great in this conversation if someone said, okay, so if I press closer to you, that means great, things are going well. Mm -hmm. If I move your hand away, that means this doesn't work for me. (laughs) So many women will say, I've moved his hand away. He doesn't seem to get that this doesn't work. But if it becomes a kind of conversation, and and it will happen if people read your book, because someone could pick up and say, okay, guess what she says on this? What do you think on that? It'll just get the words connected to some of the anxiety as well as some of the desire. Yes. And I think the whole thing about talking to your partner about sex, flattery gets you a long way, <laughs> a very long way. So, um, and I think also, I don't know if you, if you read that bit, but I think you should never ever say those dreadful words, we need to talk. I think that frightens the hell out of everybody. If right. you say we need to talk about sex, <laughs> then people go running for the hills. But I think if you sort of say, you know, something like, like I said, you know, um, I used to love it when you did that. Um, can we work out a way? I know you can't do it because you've got a bad back, but can we work out a way to how, of how to do that again? And then, I mean, even if they do nothing that you love, just make it up. Just come up with one thing. They've got to be doing something right. And then you can come in with something that they aren't perhaps doing right and say, when you're doing that, could you do it for longer? Could you do it harder? And, and there's all sorts of tricks you can use. And I think getting older actually puts you in a good position because you can, you can make an excuse for having put up with really bad technique for years. You know, like some people, especially women, will just put up with a technique, you know, that just does nothing for them just for fear of, because maybe once they liked it, but then they haven't liked it for the last five years, but are just too scared to say something. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get out of that. You just say, you know, like, listen, I think my body's really changed after menopause or, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm finding that this is happening or, you know, and that's your in then to say, you know, instead of doing this, could you do that? So it's a much kinder sort of way than saying, and what happens is if you don't have a, com- a regular conversation about sex, you end up blurting things out and saying, I hate it when you do that. Stop doing that or can't you not do that? And, and that, of course, is awful. You know, you can't treat your partner like that. They're not going to respond to that at all. So it is all about trying to have regular conversations that are calm and, and nice and sensitive and flattering. And um, I don't know who said it, but one of the sex educators said, um, if, you, you need to, if you're going to make a criticism, you need to think of it as a sandwich and you need to put it between two slices of flattery. And I thought that was quite good. So start with a compliment, then have the criticism if you want to call it that, and then that's flattering as well. I, I also think based on what you're saying and the importance of desire is that when one partner hears that the other is even thinking or has written down something, of course, leading with a positive, we just did a show on feedback and how important that is, um, the other suddenly feels he still wants me, she still wants me, because as your research shows, when no one's speaking, 
people just they just assume the worst. As one of one of your people yeah, said, do. I guess I guess he's at a set. I guess he's just not into sex. Maybe he's not into me. I hope it's not an affair. But it becomes a sad, you know, reality that um, yes. they're assuming the worst about each other. And I think that happens when somebody um, when somebody says, "I want to try something new." They think, "Oh, that must mean that they're really bored with the sex that we have." And it's it's not mm. that they're bored with the sex that we have. It's just because they want to try something new. It just means that they're trying to keep things alive. So I think we're very sensitive when it comes to sex. So sensitive. Mm. And um, and I think going back to the body language thing, because I like that, and I thought it needed. Um, it's it's a really good thing to bring up. In that, I you sort of assume that if your body language is going to be your partner's body language. And I think things like moving closer to somebody, moving closer to somebody if they're doing the right touch and pulling your body away from their touch shows that you don't like it. You would think, I mean, that is general body language that most people would use. Um, but then again, not everybody is very good at interpreting it. I mean, they, <laughs> yes. did, they, did, a, right. they did a wonderful study of... Um, flirting techniques in a bar in Texas, I think it was, and women were able to pick up on 52 flirting signals that men sent them, and men were able to pick up on 10, (laughs) (laughs) which made me laugh, and the 10 were things like, she's smiling at me, she's she's making eye contact, it was really funny, and I think that maybe women are probably better at reading body language in bed, maybe than that men are, because I think mm-hmm. generally women are probably better at reading body language. So, so yes, it would be good to say to your partner, when I do this, it means that. And when I do this, it means that. So that they don't have to keep saying, do you like it? Is this fine? Is this okay? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but some people find that off-putting, don't they? Mm-hmm. One, one other thing that you said, which is, I think, a wonderful bridge into just reconnecting, is you say, think sensual instead of sexual as a start. Mm. Massage, shower, you, you know, just just to start. The, I mean, we know in terms of body health, being touched, massaged, all those things are very healthy in addition to being emotionally relevant for a couple. Mm. Yes, they are. They are very, um, very important. And um, sorry, I went way off target. I was thinking of something else that I had to say. Sorry, what was your question? I was just saying to you that... Sorry, that was what it was. Sensual, not sensual. I was talking... But the point I was going to make was I was talking to... um, to somebody else in an interview and talking about how we need to stop thinking of sex as having a beginning, a middle and an end and that sex has to include intercourse. And I was saying to her, she was saying, well, I don't really understand. I said, well, you know, for instance, you could give your partner oral sex instead of, you know, having intercourse. And and she said, yeah, but does that count? And I said, what does that mean? What do you mean does that count? And she said, well, does it count as having had sex? And it was like, of course it counts as having had sex. And I think we need to move away from this thing that sex has to be this event where it starts with kissing, a little bit of foreplay, then you have an inter- then you have intercourse, and then hopefully you have an orgasm for one or both, or probably only one. And, um, and we, this is such a set format that we have in our heads for sex. So sex and can be a bath together you know, where you're touching each other. Sex can be a big, long, really passionate kiss before somebody goes to work. Sex can be you giving your partner oral sex but not receiving it. It can be sexual things. Like, think of it as little bite-sized bits of sex rather than having to have this whole banquet. And I think that's what stops having people people having sex so often is that they think that they, you know, they think, well, I've only got five minutes or, you know, we haven't got time to go all the way. Well, when you were a kid... 
you know, you used to sneak those five minutes because that's all you could get. And think about right. how exciting that was. Right. So well said. So well said. That is um, taking charge and actually uh, redefining the sexual moments and the intimate moments puts it right back between you and your partner mm-hmm. off the TV, off the media. It's terrific. We're going to have to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're so fortunate that we're speaking with Tracy Cox. She's the international author and sex expert. Her 17th book is Great Sex Starts at 50, Age-Proof Your Libido and Transform Your Sex Life. And we're talking about age-proofing your sex life. We're offering information, reality, strategies. Stay with us. Much more to come. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint. Dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We are having a wonderful conversation with Tracy Cox, international author and sex expert. And we're talking about age-proofing your sex life and talking about all aspects of it. And the chapter that in in Tracy's book that we're going to talk about now begins with the title... I love my partner, but I don't want sex with that partner anymore. 
Tracy, where do we go with this? And um, let's talk a little bit about the reality of desire. And does does desire move just diminish with age, and that's it? We're fighting uphill. I think it, it us, yes, it does diminish with age because of hormones. But I think it diminishes in long term relationships, no matter what age that you have. And I think this is the biggest, most dangerous myth about sex that that is out there is that. Um, is that you're going to have this strong desire for your partner no matter how long you live with them and how long you're with them. And in fact, that's not how it works. What happens is that what, what fuels love and what fuels desire are two totally different things. With love, you want safety, security, you want to feel protected, you want to feel like you can trust your partner and can be content with them. But what you need for lust is completely the opposite. You want unpredictability, you want erotic, you want unknown, you want forbidden, you want a bit of danger and anxiety. So what happens over time is that once a couple, you know, get on really well, and, and most couples choose, obviously, the love emotions over the lust emotions because they, they're nicer. You, you know, who wants to feel anxious? No one really wants to feel anxious. So they muddle along, and the love connection's really strong. And then before you know it, poor old lust in the background is just dying because it's not getting fed at all because there's no anxiety, there's no unpredictability. And then, of course, what happens is the, the spontaneous desire that you feel in the beginning, that all stops happening because you've been together for so long, all those lovely loving sex hormones dry up and then, you know, there's no novelty, etc., etc. Most people just continue. They don't really do anything different with their sex life. And suddenly you're looking at each other and it feels like you're about to have sex with your brother or your sister. And they actually call it the sibling effect, don't they, when it can feel like that. But it doesn't mean people at that point think, oh, my God, I've chosen the wrong partner or this is just friendship or this is awful. You know, it means that I just don't fancy my partner anymore. Well, that's not true. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you haven't done anything to keep that desire bit going. So people shouldn't panic if that happens to them. You just then need to recreate that desire. It hasn't gone. It just means that you have to work at it. And people get, they don't like working at it, do they, Suzanne? They, they like to think that it's all spontaneous. And once spontaneous desire goes, well, we'll just move on. Well, if you want to, you know, keep moving on and keep on having a different partner every five minutes, well, yes, you will keep spontaneous <laughs> desire going. But if you want to be in a good relationship and you want it to last, it's impossible. It's just you have to then create it. Well, Tracy, isn't it interesting you know, over the years of, uh, over 35 years of dealing with couples, that when people go on vacation, they often have sex. And I think it fits in with what Stephen Mitchell talks about, which is the most important thing about sexual connection is imagination. And we want, he uses the term, we want our partner to be a familiar stranger. We want it to be a little bit different than we would expect. So sure enough, you're in a hotel room and maybe you are wearing different clothing and the weather's different and inevitably couples find each other and they come yeah. back home, it's over. <laughs> so <it's, Yeah. laughs> there's something to take in what you're saying that, I think you said very well, if we didn't settle into attachment, our bodies and our minds wouldn't be calm enough to procreate and to focus on children and raising children and all the other things. But there there has to be a little bit of work to keep the familiar stranger, the person across from the table. And, you know, I don't think it has to come right out of a Netflix series, but I think it could out 
trump the the drop in desire, which is real. Yes. And I don't think we, I think we need to stop pretending that. And that's why we all get so annoyed at these TV shows and, and, you know, movies that promote that because then it just makes people more convinced that there's something wrong with their relationship. And there's nothing wrong with their relationship. It's just that, you know, the chemicals that you feel in your brain when you love and the chemicals when you feel in your brain when they, when you desire, they're different chemicals. So you can't have one without the other. And some of the chemicals actually cancel each other out. I think vasopressin can't exist in the brain of a man who is deeply in love because they, they just don't like each other. So, you know, there's all that stuff going on. But what, what I think you can do, and, and I think this is the question that everybody wants the answer to, and, it's, and I, I feel a bit bad that I'm sort of lead up to. So, you know, and you can imagine the reader going, this is great, yeah, it's exactly how I feel. And then they're just waiting for this one simple thing that you can do to fix it. And there is no one simple thing that you could do to fix it. It's all, there are lots of little things that you could do to fix it. And those things are things like um, meeting outside, like, you know, just meeting your partner. If you're the person, you know, meet your partner in a restaurant and let them join you there. So you see them walk through the crowd and see other people look at them and realize that they're not attached to you. They're not an attachment. You're not Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They're a person out there in the world. And that gives you that little bit of anxiety of like, wow, you know, he's quite attractive. You know, other people might be looking at him. So that sort of thing is what you need. So that's the kind of separateness that Esther Perel talks about, is that mm-hmm. you've got to be, you know, you want to be close, but you have to be separate enough to be able to see that your partner is a, sex, as, you know, different person than you and that they're a separate sexual being and that, you know, that you're, you are the familiar stranger is a lovely term, actually. I haven't heard that before. And that's, that is exactly what you're trying to aim for, isn't it? Right. Well, nobody fantasizes about someone who's in their pocket. You know, when people go on business (laughs) trips, you fantasize more. But it's exactly what you're saying. Maybe share with our listeners, because I think this is such an important difference. The difference in sexual desire and how it works with men and women um, in terms of men feeling desire before anybody's even touching anybody. And for women, it's different. Maybe you can share that. Yes. Um, so the difference is between um, one's called spontaneous desire and one's called responsive desire. And, um, and I mean, Emily Nagoski um, talks about this very well in her book, Come As You Are. And she, I think she did a big um, research on it, or she was reporting on some research. And most men have score highly on spontaneous desire. They tend to be, you know, look at something, think about sex, instantly aroused. Whereas women, I think it, when you, I think lots of younger women scored much higher. I think it was about 30% of women had spontaneous desire and 70% of women had a mix of responsive and spontaneous desire. Um, and responsive desire, <coughs> excuse me, is when you might not feel like sex just out of the blue, but if your partner starts stimulating you in a pleasurable way, that's when you'll feel like sex. And I think that women think, oh, I haven't got a high libido because I just don't look at my partner and just want to have sex with them. Well, that means nothing. It doesn't mean that you, haven't, that you don't enjoy sex or that you can't get aroused. It just means that you get aroused in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if women understood that, they would feel less like their failures for, well, why don't I just fancy sex out of the blue? Why am I not just looking at my partner and wanting to take his clothes off and you know shove him up against the wall well because 
that's just not the way your desire system works. So, um, yes, there are, you know, it is a very different way of looking at sex. And again, I think we fall for the myth that everybody must feel this spontaneous desire. And that's the only correct way that people should think about sex. Or that's the real way to think about sex. Don't Mm -hmm. you agree? I do. And I think that um, it's a discrepancy that when men and women don't understand, when she sees him look at the person in the restaurant that walks past and thinking, well, he's clearly more interested in her than me. Well, no, I don't really think that's true. I think it's kind of the way people do things. And, and, and you know, you know, people look at other people. But I think in some ways... With women, women do want to feel desired in some way. They they do want someone to look at them like they're special. Um, ideally, to even look at them at times like they're hot. So that, but they have to participate in it a little bit too. They've got to wear mm. maybe something that they personally, not that someone told them to wear, they've got to wear the blouse that they like. And they've got to really feel or act into um, their best self. And their best self can be anything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I loved one thing that, and maybe this fits in with what we're saying about women and desire. I think that with, if women become more informed, they even become more informed about sexuality and the role they could play as a sexual partner. They're going to have a sense of agency. They're the sexy one then. They're the one who says, mm. well, so you know what I read? What do you think about this? Now, people may feel too shy to do that, but it could be in fun that they say, listen to what she says in this book. Is this real? Could this really happen? You're already into it then. You've already taken mm. a different role. And then, as you say, and what, what all the research is showing, you have to somehow eventually be involved with the person most often to feel physiologically desirable and to respond physically. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, one thing that shocked me again with the research, um, the interviews that I did with all the women from my book was the amount of women who, who were sort of blaming themselves. They were saying, well, I don't really feel like sex anymore. And then in the next breath, they'd say, you know, I'd say, well, how's the relationship? Oh, I can't stand him. You know, he makes me so angry. I mean, half the time, you know, we don't talk for three days. And it, it, it's sort of like, well, of course you're not going to be, you know, if you don't even like someone, why would you want to have sex with them and let them get close to you? You cannot separate sex in your relationship. And if you're in a, re- in a restaurant and your partner is checking out every hot chick that walks past, of course you're not going to want to go home and have sex with them. That's not going to happen, is it? So, so yes, you, you have to have a partner who looks at you with desire or else you're not going to feel desired and you're not going to feel upset. Um, I do think taking control is really important. One thing that I've done with, with um, couples that I've counselled um, on a few TV shows, actually, has worked is to give them a five-minute sex ban, like a five-minute sexing. So, say you've got a couple who he wants more sex or she wants more sex or... You know, and, and one person wants lots of sex and the other person wants less sex. Get them to agree and say, right, okay, you're going to have sex twice a week, but it's going to be for only five minutes. And I find that the high desire person is happy because they're going to get sex twice a week. And the low desire person is like, <laughs> well, great. yeah, I can manage that. Oh, I can manage that for five minutes. But, and what happens in every case that I've ever done this, the low desire person, the high desire person, you know, 
is is sort of like keen to keep going, but very conscious. And I really drum it into them. You cannot, you've got to be stopping it at five minutes or else this is not going to work. So they're keen to stop. The low desire person, if it's put on, you know, they've got a, a cross off point or often thinks, actually, I could go for a bit longer here. And so they're the ones that are saying, no, let's keep going. And then all of a sudden, the tables are turned and they're in the sexual initiator. They're the powerful, sexy one. You know, because the person who always wants sex is always the power. And it completely changes the dynamic. So, you know, if you're the one that's initiating sex or you're the one that's saying, hang on here, I don't want to stop, all of a sudden, you become sexy and powerful. And that is such a turn on. Yes, yes, it's a wonderful, it's a great exercise, it really is. Oh, one thing that I want, that, that I hear and that I wanted to mention, you, you talk about how mindset can out-trump hormones, that is, uh, if, you're, if you're into it, you're into it, but the reverse is true, and that is our, our heads have to be into it, and as you say, the genitals will follow, but so people have to understand that if there's a baby crying in another room, if there are 10 teenagers in your living room, there's a good chance that one or other, I'd say even particularly the female, is not in a mindset for sex. So That's I right. no matter what we're using, what toys or whatever, you have to be able to be free to be in the fantasy or to be in your own head about feeling stimulated or feeling connected. Now, when you do have mm. them do that, that exercise, that's just where they are. You've cordoned off five minutes and that's it. See, that's wonderful. But if I, yes. mean, I think context really matters for couples. It does. And um, one um, who I spoke about before, Emily Nagoski, who wrote um, Come As You Are, she talks a lot about brakes and accelerators in sex. And I, I put that in the book about how she has this dual control. You know, so we have things that make us want more sex and things that make us not want sex. And she talks very much about don't worry about the accelerators, worry about the brakes. Like try and turn, like make a list of every single thing that turns you off having sex. And that might be, you know, if you feel your partner's hasping for it. It might be if you feel stressed. It might be if you've got 10 teenagers in the next room. It might be if your baby's not sleeping properly. You know, it might be a whole heap of things that put you in the wrong time set, the wrong mindset for sex. So we need to be aware of all those things and, and try to create the perfect conditions for sex. And she always says, and I think it's such a, such a good thing to think, if I had, to, if you, you, maybe you've got low design, you're not having much sex, say to yourself, if I had to have sex right now, you know, if I had to have sex, how would that sex be? In other words, you might say, well, you know what, if I really have to do it, I don't really mind doing it on a Friday night when I've had a glass of wine and I've had a bath and if I'm going to have to do it, that's when I would do it. So it sounds negative to think that way, but it's a really good start for women who have lost desire and don't feel sexy is to think, right, if I could make this perfect, perfect, create these perfect conditions, what would they be? And I think if you work on that, then, you know, the chance, of course, you, you know, the, if somebody, your partner makes an advance during that time, well, it's, it's going to be more successful, isn't it? So, you know, if somebody said to me, right, you're going to do this radio show, but you have to do it in the lounge room while your husband's watching television. Well, it's not <laughs> going to be very good, is it? <laughs> so you, you put yourself in the best conditions for everything else, don't you? You think, well, I'm going to go into a private room and I'm going to make sure the windows are shut. And yet we don't do it with sex. We sort of forget to create the perfect conditions for sex. Well, this is where 
I can't help but underscore your piece about talking about it because the momentum really will build if you both have spoken about it and she's going to say, so you know what? Okay, I'm going to try a time that's good for me. Or One way or another, you, you can't be working. People will say, I can't be the only one in the relationship who wants sex. Or I can't be the only one fighting someone off when he doesn't understand I've had surgery. In other words, we need the option to somehow smooth the edges out and make the momentum possible with the talk that you speak about is so important. Yes, absolutely. And also, I mean, it's hard to, especially as you age and in long-term relationships, unless you're going to let your partner what's going on, you're really never going to make it. You've got to be walking along the same path together. Right. You know, and otherwise you're going to be, like, for instance, with me, after menopause, um, sex became painful. And I've I've certainly, you know, done a lot to fix it. I use, you know, vaginal pessaries, which help a lot. But it means that I can't have um, the same sex the same way as I used to have it. Now, if I didn't feel comfortable telling my partner that and explain to him what was going on, I would just be, I mean, what option do I have? It hurts. So I would be avoiding him having sex. So it's, and then it's so easily done though. And when I told him, he didn't, you know, he was like, oh, okay, right, well, we'll have to do this then. It's such a good comment. It's such a good example. Drawing upon your own personal situation, it's perfect. We're going to have to take a break. Thank you so much. Um, you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're having a fabulous conversation with Tracy Cox, international author and sex expert. We've been talking about age proving, age proofing your sexuality, talking technique strategies. Stay with us. More to come. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Tracy Cox, where we have wonderful conversations about a really age-proofing your sex life and enhancing your relationship with your partner. One of the things um, Tracy and I were talking about at the break were the statistics are, are higher than you would imagine. And I think it's one of the reasons, you correct me, Tracy, that you, you wrote this book. Um, that is, there are ways, there may be ways to still have intimacy in a relationship. It's, it, it's interesting that a ha- half of the couples who enjoy their relationship have opted out of sex. And one mm. of the things that, Stacey, you say in the book, which I underscored, is if there's even a spark of interest on the part of one or the other, just don't make your mind up yet. Sex isn't just for pleasure. Sex is even healthy. But there's, just don't make your mind up yet. And the other, the other statistic that I, that Stacy mentions in the book is that according to the Journal of Marriage and Family, seventy four percent of spouses who want sex but are constantly refused stay in their relationships because they love their partners. So mm. it's a little bit of a conundrum on people love each other. And they'll sacrifice it. But if we look at it, invite both partners, you know, to think, is there a spark anywhere that we can build on? How do we do that? One. And two, by the time, you know, I say to people, if by the time you're over 50, you don't wake up with some ache or pain, you're probably dead. So we have all (laughs) been through diagnosis, surgery, who knows what else. It's hard to, when your body's been medicalized, I'll say it that way, to mm, think of mm. it as desirous. So how do we, how do we, if we have a spark of interest, but our bodies have been through a lot, how do we proceed, Tracy? You know, I had the most, I had the most humbling experience that put all of this into perspective where I did a, I did a lot of work with um, some people who have, uh, with the Brittle Bone Society, which is a really dreadful disease that, that, even if you sneeze, you can break a bone. And it, you can be, it, I mean, it's, it, it's really awful. And it ranges from people who have it in the beginning who just have to be careful. Like, like I said, they can sneeze and break a bone to people who end up in, in wheelchairs who, who can't move, basically. And going to the loo is such an effort. Now, I was there to talk to these people about how to have sex. And they were there, in there, with all their disabilities, desperate to find out how to make a sexual connection. And I looked around the room. And I just thought, my God, you know, we say we won't have sex when we put a headache or we're feeling a bit fat or, you know, our back's a bit sore or all this sort of stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, where there's a will, there is a way. And this is the thing that, you know, with that, which makes me so sad in these scenarios where you've got one partner who would desperately love to continue having sex and another partner that just 
stops at, you know, at the first hurdle sort of thing. Oh, no, I can't do that now. And I think why people do that is because they think of sex as intercourse or they think of sex as the way they have sex now. The example before with my husband, it's like, okay, we can't have the sex we used to have, but we can do this. And I think if people thought like that instead of, oh, no, 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 I can't have sex now because my back's gone and there's no way I'll be able to have intercourse and thrust. So that is sex. So, what, you know, we might as well just stop having it. Silly. There is, think outside the square. And there's so many things in my book where I say, look, okay, think about low effort sex. Say you don't want to have sex at all. Would you mind if your partner masturbates beside you and you watch them? Do you mind if, you know, what about... If you don't, when you, lots of women, when they say they don't want sex, they think they mean intercourse. So what mm-hmm. about if you had sex with your partner and it didn't include penetrative sex, it was just oral sex or it was touching or caressing or there's so many ways around it or even you holding a sex toy, you know, on them or there's so many ways where you can be sexual without actually having to put yourself out in the slice. So, yeah, there are many. So before you say no to sex, think long and hard about is there anything sexual that I think that I could do with my partner to keep that part of the relationship going because it is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I love what you're saying. And I think um, the whole idea that I think some sort of sexual connection of any kind, and I like one point you say, uh, there's no right amount of sex to have and spontaneous sex is overrated for people who have had a rough journey with injury or illness, just hearing what you just said now, that there are all kinds of possibilities, it's enlivening. It's, it helps people recover because when you, when you have a sense of yourself as desired and or feel someone else feels desirable because of you, I think it changes mind and body. I think it's extremely Absolutely. healthy. Absolutely. Yeah, so now one of the... Yeah. Now, one of the wonderful things, and you're going to love this book, and, and uh, Tracy ends her book with 50 things you only know after 50. So <clears throat> what, are, what are some of your favorites? What are four of your favorites? And I'll give three of mine be- before we do okay. the take-home message. I like, um, I like the quote about, if your body is healthy, it's perfect. Because after 50, I think so many of us have had friends die or we've had illnesses or, you know, scares, medical scares. And I think you finally get to that thing where you look at your body and you go, you know what? Okay, (laughs) let's make peace now. I'm not going to look at the size. I'm not going to look at the droopy breasts. I'm just going to think if my body is healthy, it's perfect. And what a good thing. Yep. Yeah. One of my favorites is it's impossible to be sexy unless you believe in yourself. Oh, totally. How yeah. true is that? I mean, because even, you know, you can look at a Victoria's Secret model and then you read about them and, and you realize, you know, you read all these awful stories that, in fact, they feel very unsexy because somebody's dissing them on social media or something. And you just think right. it's got nothing to do with what you look like. Nothing. It's all about attitude and how you think of yourself. Yes. I think at any age, this one, I even thought back to, as soon as I read this one, I I thought back to college days. Enthusiasm is more attractive than having a good body. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That that applies across age. Another one that I really liked is um, desire isn't the only motivator for sex. Because I think that's another thing is that we, we tend to think 
especially in this very politically correct world that we live in, that, you know, both of you must feel like sex at the same time. And if you don't feel like sex and your partner does, you should not feel under any obligation to have sex with them. Well, maybe you shouldn't feel under any obligation, of course, but maybe you might want to have sex with them, even if you don't, because they want sex and you're happy to satisfy them and give them pleasure. And, you know, so, or maybe it's because it's a kind, generous thing to do. I mean, sometimes, you know, my partner wants to go to an Indian restaurant. I want to go to a French one, but sometimes I go to the Indian one. It's just what you do in a good relationship. Absolutely. You make compromises. And, and I think it's so important in the book how you talk about we could be talking straight couples, gay couples. I mean, this really applies across the board. It really does. Tracy, what, what take-home message would you give to our listeners? You've done such a beautiful show. What, what do you want them to take home? Um, I think probably find your normal. I think that everything that we've been talking about today, I think there are couples, some couples who are perfectly happy having sex once a year, other couples perfectly happy, happy having sex once a day. Some couples, you know, define sex only by intercourse. Some people only by oral sex. It's whatever works for the two of you is the most important thing. That is the, the only important thing, really. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Now, how can our listeners find your books, your site, your radio show? Tell us about how we can find you. Okay. Um, it's all on my website, which is tracycox.com, and that's spelled T-R-A-C-E-Y-C-O-X.com. Um, the book is available wherever all good books are sold, and it's um, hopefully at your independent bookshop, maybe. Uh, and it's called Great Sex Starts at 50, but it's all on my website. All my Instagram and um, you know, socials and stuff are all on there. So um, that's the best place to find everything. Uh, I really want to thank you from, for tuning in all the way from the UK. I know it's different time. I really appreciate the gift of this show because with your books, your research, and in what you shared today, you've worked for so many years enhancing sexual understanding and satisfaction for individuals and couples, and that's truly a gift. That's a lifetime gift. So thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us today. Thank you. I've had a lovely time. It's really fascinating listening to you talk as well. (laughs) Thank you. I want to thank my (laughs) listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, and on any platform for podcasts on your iPhone, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, It appears and can be accessed through any of those platforms. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe. Keep wearing masks. Get vaccinated. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.